we analyzed just over 3.2 million opportunities that represented $37 billion worth of pipeline during the whole of 2022. And that data came from 364 different businesses, all B2B, but working all sorts of markets in all sorts of geographies and working different verticals and different size deals as well. So hopefully we're going to share some of those insights with the community today. And of course, you won't be surprised to hear that the influence of intense scoring is on the likelihood of deals closing is a key part of the insights that we found. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hey everyone, welcome. Yeah, I'm excited to talk through this. Very good. Jeff, yes. Last time we were together, we were on stage in San Francisco. Now we're on different continents, but really, really lovely to enjoy sharing a stage with you and uh, and hopefully the audience will enjoy some of the content we prepared. So for those that don't know uh, our business, uh, my name is Guy Rubin. I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Ebster. We focus on uh, revenue intelligence. We're looking, uh, we analyze the signals that drive revenue to help businesses build predictable revenue engines. I'll let Jeff introduce himself for those that uh, that may not know know you. Yeah, Jeff Marcou. I am the CMO at, with Bombora, and and our company, our business is Intent Data, and helping understand what businesses are actively researching, so that you can take action against that with uh, with your sales and marketing, and many many other different kinds of activations. But definitely you know, excited to dive into this whole new world around efficiency and why understanding and bringing these two things together is, is so critical. But I know you all recently did did a report, some key things here. I'd love to touch on that because there are some super interesting findings in, in that. Yes. Well, thank you for setting that up, Jeff. We did uh, recently produce a report um, in conjunction with Pavilion and um, really a fascinating report. It's the third year in a row we've done this. So we kind of see the data pacing uh, from year to year. And each year we get access to more data and we're able to go deeper into the information. So for anyone who's interested in, in taking a closer look at this report, it's it's available for download for free and we'll circulate a link after the uh, after the presentation. So what did we analyze and, and why was it so interesting? Well, we we analyzed just over 3.2 million opportunities that represented $37 billion worth of pipeline during the whole of 2022. And that data came from 364 different businesses, all B2B, but working all sorts of markets in all sorts of geographies and working different verticals and different size deals as well. So hopefully we're going to share some of those insights with the community today. And of course, you won't be surprised to hear that uh, that the influence of intense scoring is on the likelihood of deals closing is a key part of the insights that we found. So let's jump straight in. It's fair to say that 2022 was a challenging year. We could see here from the data that we collected that less than a third of the sales reps that we analyzed uh, actually hit quota. And while that's a scary stat in itself, probably even scarier from my perspective, is that less than that, that nearly 20% of reps didn't even have a quota to hit. Uh, before we jump into the good stuff, it's worth highlighting that we saw that on average, win rates dropped by 15% in 2022. We saw the average deal value reduced by almost a third and sales cycles increase uh, by almost a third. 
some really fascinating uh, insights here. So what, rather than dwelling on the stuff that didn't work, what I wanted to use our time together today to do was really dive into the 29% that were hitting quota. <laughs> what are they doing different to the other, the other sales teams? And hopefully we can add some value to the community and give you guys some visibility of what we saw worked. So it's worth starting with this, you know, what's the size of the prize? How big is the problem out there? Well, don't take my word for it, but uh, Boston Consulting Group have recently been quoted to say that there's a $2 trillion problem in sales, in B2B sales, where there's massive inefficiencies of time and energy being spent on, uh, on opportunities that aren't real and, and deals that close last. And to back that up, we found that only 30% of the opportunities uh, worked close one. And the deals that close last are spending twice as long in pipe as, as deals that close last one. So huge inefficiencies in the way we run our sales teams and allowing salespeople to be the optimistic resources that they are, uh, we need as leaders to, to actually help them to either course correct deals that aren't on track by looking at the data or actually give them the tools they need to have confidence in closing deals off lost sooner. So in conclusion, um, in my view, this whole idea of the growth at all cost playbook is now dead, right? So we, we're now all expected to achieve a whole lot more, perhaps with even less budget than we had before. So we need to get clever in the way that we operate. And the answer to all of our prayers is in the data. So understanding what the data is telling us will give us the insights that we need to be able to make more with less. I think that that comment, the growth at all, all cost kind of playbook is, is gone there where companies are just burning money and just acquire, 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 not necessarily caring about those efficiency metrics. And now it definitely feels like we are in a realm of how do we grow sustainably in a way that actually sticks with us? And what's really interesting as you look at this, right, we've got essentially a funnel on its side here that, that kind of looks, I like to call this our, the bow tie slide. But right, as we go from leads to qualification, right, all the way through to, to win rates and beyond, right, with our customers, one of the things I always like to talk about is marketing is we need to understand the job to be done, right? To get to this sales target, how much do we need to do at the top of the funnel, right, as, as we go through that? And as I look through that, right, we're inputting our efficiency metrics, those conversion rates, right, our, our pipeline velocity, right, time and stage, all that stuff going into that. And as you start to look at that, you start to notice that if I can tweak little things throughout, right, marginal things, especially towards the bottom of the funnel, what that starts to do at the top of the funnel. And so you can kind of see a model comparison of this, the top row versus kind of that second row there, where if I can simply increase my ACV by a couple thousand, or if I can increase my win rate by 5%, even one or 2%, depending on your business can be material, right? And you continue going upstream, right? My win rates are going up, my conversions are going up, my qualifications going up. The other big metric that you can often deal with is velocity, right? If I can shorten the timeline from a month to 15 days, I can do twice as many deals over the course of a month then as well. And so one of the big things that you want to start to look at is kind of looking at your funnel holistically and, and seeing, hey, where can I start removing friction throughout this process here and needing to get the data to have that? Now, that said, if anyone on this call thinks that they have the perfect Salesforce data, you are a saint because I have never worked at a company, been at a company anywhere that has perfect data. And so part of that's digging in and, you know, where are we confident in the data? Where can we find these insights? And then find usually the lowest hanging fruit to start improving these incremental metrics because those little marginal elements result in massive 
customer lifetime value gains with just little bits of change. And that means as marketers, either what we put in at the top of the funnel yields so much more at the bottom of the funnel, or we have a smaller job to be done to hit our target, which means we can do really high-end quality, high-touch ABM campaigns at the top of the funnel. So we can look at that one of two ways, but for the business, regardless, efficiency is key. I agree with everything you're saying, Jeff. And I think what I love about this graphic is it highlights that we don't need more at the top of the funnel. This isn't about more leads. This is about small incremental improvements can have exponential results. We all have the leads that we have, right? What we need to do is really understand the signals behind those leads to know which ones we should be doubling down on and really investing resources into because they're likely to give us the best results. So I love this graphic. I think it's a great one. Yeah, exactly. And as we look at that, right, it kind of illustrating the point there, right? With just small changes, right, focusing on the right leads, the right time, the right signals, and removing some of that friction from our funnel, right, you can see hundreds of percents of gains in very short order. And so diving into these and knowing these metrics is definitely a, a critical piece there. And so if we go to kind of the next slide here, one of the new challenges that we're facing in this world of trying to build a sustainable growth plan for our businesses is we've got to start getting to this predictable and efficient growth. And CMOs are very often at the forefront of this because we're the ones looking at, hey, what are the signals in the market we can detect? What's the volume of those happening regularly? And how many of those are we able to effectively bring in to start that funnel journey with our companies? And so we have to be the ones at the forefront there as we go through that. And so if we go to the, the, the next slide here, you know, what's interesting is just kind of this old way in the new way. What's also funny, I was just reading a post on LinkedIn on very often presenters, right? People on LinkedIn will say the same things over and over again. And this is how do you say that in an interesting new way? But the other reality is we still haven't always gotten these messages through us. We're still struggling with a lot of these different things. Like, right, are we focused on the volume and cost of, of those leads, right? We're trying to bring those in versus on the velocity and the capacities of our team, focusing on our pipeline coverage as opposed to cost of acquisition, right? As you start to kind of go through these different elements of looking at things like, hey, we need to start looking at what's that payback ratio, looking at that lifetime value, reframing the way in which we think we a major credit card company that uses our data actually uses this to say, hey, when I, I can spend the same amount for these two businesses, but this business, its potential lifetime value to me is 10x this one. They're willing to spend a lot more on that, right? And so if the cost of acquisition at just the lead level, right, we're, we're kind of missing that context of, I'm actually willing to probably spend 5x more to acquire that that high value account because of its lifetime value as I'm going through there. And so as we start to think about this, right, how do we get predictive, actionable, driving that alignment with sales? And that alignment with sales is one of those stories that we hear it over and over again, but we still struggle with it. So many marketers still struggle with it. I was just talking with the cybersecurity company a couple of weeks ago, and they were fielding about eight different always-on campaigns. And the problem was sales only actually had in their bag two of those products. And so, right, even just there, you've got pipeline inefficiency, right? Marketing is driving leads. Sales is never going to pick up because they're just not aligned. And so we've got to focus on this better way, on this predictable and efficient pipeline, because that's what starts to drive that transformation. That's what drives that sustainable growth. I think once marketing knows the influence of different types of leads on revenue, the CMO is so well-placed to help and educate the other heads in the commercial side of the business to become more data-driven. 
Marketing has been in that space and has been data-driven for over a decade now and maybe longer. The sales teams are still running mostly on gut feel. And, and so it's an opportunity for the CMO to step up and actually try and take more responsibility for the ultimate number that they're going to hit by explaining to the other sales leaders that, look, if you can give me some visibility of the, if we understand the signals that lead to revenue, I can help to actually identify the right leads for you and give you the better conversion rates. Exactly. What's what's funny is, is so often sales teams will still just and blindly pick their their named account list and things like that. And it was actually the first time I was a Bombora customer. We had something similar to that where we had just implemented Bombora and I got this list of accounts from my sales team. And there was there's a couple thousand accounts in there, pretty big for a named account list. But and I ran it through Bombora and it said that basically no one was actively researching the products that we had. This is a big enterprise company. And so I had, to, I think it was 11 out of the thousands of accounts that they had given me were actively in market. Well, with a sales cycle of like 12 months plus, you're probably not actually going to be successful and hit your sales number. So I remember kind of gulping and be like, all right, well, I'm all in on this Bombora stuff. And I brought this, a new list of, right, it fit the ICP definition, but it was not the named accounts from the sales team. I said, hey, these are the accounts that are actively researching what we have to sell. If we go with this list, there are only 11. We're probably not going to get our sales number. Let's focus on this one where they are doing that active research. And lo and behold, it was the first time we hit our sales target in five years. And so getting those signals right and listening to them, right, being that data-driven approach, sometimes you feel like you're taking a little bit of a risk, but it's also, we know the data, right? We trust that data as we start to dig in there. So you're spot on with figuring out those signals. So what's interesting on this is as we kind of dive in, right, is one of the things we need to start to do is take a look at what is driving that velocity? What are the key levers that we can identify? So looking at things like, hey, if our win rate improves by X, right, if there's an intent score that's higher than 60, if this campaign actually drives more velocity through our funnel, when they request a demo, we're actually going to win more. When we're able to get our economic buyer to a certain stage throughout that, right, we're actually, we're going to see that conversion rate from this stage to that go up. And so as you dig in here, every company, there's a lot of similarities, but there's also nuance where your business is your business. And so you'll need to dig in and start to look at what are those critical things that really move the needle. Some common ones that we know are that they're showing intent that you're properly multi-threaded, right? You've got multiple people on the account that matter to the deal cycle. But when you bring them in, which we'll get to in a little bit, matters pretty greatly there. And then what are the key actions, right, et cetera, as you go through those different pieces. But every business, it's going to be nuanced, but there's a lot of great kind of takeaways on this to give you some ideas of where to look. But that's also where having the right kind of analytics tools that can draw this out for you is really key. What we're starting to see now is CMOs taking a more productive or, or proactive role in engaging with the rest of the other commercial heads to say, look, I've done my job. We've identified the ones with the highest intent. We've marketed to them. We've got them top of the funnel. We now need to make sure that you're as multi-threaded as, as the system tells us you need to be to maximize the chance of this winning. So right. instead of it being that, you know, the sales guys just shouting at marketing, I need more leads. Now marketing is able to go back to sales and go, look, I committed that we would generate this number from the leads who I'm generating. Well, I've done my bits. I need you guys to be this multi-threaded or have that much momentum or engagement with the right stakeholders to achieve this outcome. So ultimately, the CMO can now start to really own that number and really drive the, the best practices across the other commercial uh, heads. If we kind of go to the next slide here and we and build this one out, it's what's 
interesting on that is we're also seeing this trend where marketing's riding through the sales funnel more, right? Where they're actually helping sales get multi-threaded. So, you know, in this example, right, we need to find the right, right ICP and the right personas. So being able to look at my deals and say, hey, when we engage, you know, in this example, you know, businesses in, in the media space with this many employees, we had just a higher sales velocity motion. And what was critical was that we got the, the VP of product involved in the deal cycle. And if we click one more, right, but only 54% of our opportunities actually had that reality. Well, as marketing, number one, I can bring these insights to my sales teams and start to help them do that. But also where marketing can help is through the deal cycle is, is partnering with the SDRs to do what I call kind of up and out where, great, hey, we got in at the product manager, but we don't have a meeting with the VP yet. And this product manager may not be bringing us in. Well, I can use marketing resources and ad targeting at the ABM level or SDRs to try to get a meeting with that product VP, right? Or they can be working these other personas that are there with the goal of trying to advance that. So yes, the seller is working it through the normal motion, but that doesn't mean the SDRs and marketing can't continue to expand out. And another new trend that we're seeing is actually comping SDRs on multiple meetings in the same account, not a get the first meeting, move on. But that when we're working together as a cohesive go-to-market team, we continue to work these accounts out because we can we need fewer of them if we do it right, if we do what the data tells us to do. And so this is a great example of really starting to understand the way in which this all breaks down. It's fascinating insights, isn't it? And really helping the sales team not just work out who the ICP is, but actually the personas they should be targeting and, and exactly. at which stage as well. So uh, no, fascinating stuff. So what I wanted to bring to the table here today was just some of the insights from this report. And one of the key points that we pick up on is understanding the momentum or, or engagement. So we spend a lot of time and energy scoring relationships out of 100 to truly, really try and understand how what a good relationship looks like. So we take a feed of a company's email traffic, their calendar events, their phone records, and so on, and really to understand that once marketing's done its job and you're in process with a customer, how much momentum have we got? How much engagement do we have? And, and does it matter? And you won't be surprised to hear that actually relationships truly do drive revenue. And we can see that here in these two graphics. The one at the top, what it highlights is that when we break down the relationships involved in every deal we analyzed, the win rates were, were three times higher, three times higher when the relationship wasn't just good, i.e. 61 to 80, but actually great. So at 81 and above. That impact on win rates tells us that when you're at a late stage in a sales process, lean in, right? Figure out who those key economic buyers are, get them out for a coffee, find a way of engaging with them more. Because the more you build that relationship, the more they'll trust you. And ultimately, it means that you'll have that will be the differentiator between you and, and, and the competitor. That's what's funny with that is we all used to hear the like, oh, go golf used to be right in the realm in which you would do business and build relationships and things like that. But at the end of the day, just people want to know and like who they're going to be doing business with. Are you a good person? Are you a good partner? Right. Are we, it's building that relationship. It's why we're seeing kind of a pickup in events when people want to get together. It's funny, like the age old, like it's just a new way of doing it. We just, we pivoted from golf to maybe other things. And some people still love golf. We've, our head of partnerships is all about that still. So, but it matters, right? We like to do business with people we like, kind of simple as we go back to that. And, and so you do need to lean in. 
No, absolutely. And actually finding a way of measuring it makes it really easy for the sales leader to be able to have an interesting conversation with the individual contributors, right? They can go, well, look, I I know you're doing okay on this deal, but look, the engagement with these key stakeholders is dropping off. What's happening here? Why aren't we as, as highly engaged as we should be at this stage? The other positive influence we found by doing this analysis is not just improving the win rate, but actually you can reduce the sales cycle by up to 40% just by having those highly engaged relationships. And ultimately, the customer isn't going to spend quality time with you if they're not actively ready to buy. So really seeing if you can build those relationships up is a great indicator as to whether this deal is on track. And it's a great way of keeping the uh, the time to close as short as possible. So one of the other stats we've spent some time on was really having a look at the impact of being multi-threaded on the win rates. Now, this was interesting because the results were not consistent across all the different types of opportunities. And so you can see here, we broke it down between small, medium and large deals. The key here is that there's a sweet spot. And and for each business selling different types of products into different geographies and so on, they'll have a slightly different sweet spot. But the beauty is the data data exists in your business. So by finding out how much momentum you've had on deals that closed one and lost and how multi-threaded you were on those deals, we do this type of analysis for every customer when we take them live. And so in this example, if we look at the medium level size deals, we can see that when you've got eight level eight stakeholders actively involved, you're, that maximizes the win rate for this particular example. A number of questions come out from these conversations. The first one is obviously, well, does it just keep getting better as you get more people involved? And, and unfortunately not. You very quickly get to a point where you've got decision by committee and, and almost always that decision becomes a no because it's, it's risk averse. So be cautious in, in getting too many stakeholders involved. But as a general rule, if you're up at three or four stakeholders, if you can increase that by one or two, you're going to win. But it's not just about a multi-threading. It's about understanding which stakeholders you should be engaged with at different stages of your sales cycle. So again, we do this analysis over the last 12 months worth of deals. And it's not unusual, for example, to find that getting the economic buyer involved at an early stage isn't necessarily the quickest route to winning. Sometimes it's actually a lot quicker. The sales cycle is a lot shorter when you get a champion who's not necessarily the economic buyer, but is a key influencer on that economic buyer involved in those earlier stages. So really trying understanding the DNA of the deals that you're working on will help you to coach the sales team to have the optimal outcome and ultimately allow the, set, the, the marketeer in the business, the CMO, to sit back and go, come on, guys, we, you're, you're not engaging with the right stakeholders in these opportunities. And therefore, these leads that we predicted is going to achieve this outcome aren't going to achieve it if you don't do what the system, what the data tells us. I love those two insights here, right? It's, it's there's a point of diminishing returns on number of people involved, but then if you're an executive, we've all done this, right? If you're a leader, we've all done this where, hey, I have, we have a problem, go research it, someone else, right? While I might be the person controlling the budget and all the, and the ultimate decision, my team is the one doing the research as you go out there. And so I love, right, the data kind of supports those, those types of things. And getting those insights is so key in knowing when and where to engage. What's interesting too is, the pretty squiggle lines here on the right, that's actually what we conduct for a lot of our clients it's called historical buyer's journey analysis, where we're actually able to go through and we look at, hey, we normalize your deals. You know, hey, I won a deal in October and I won one in December. Well, what was happening six months to both of those, right? Before in 18, right? We can look up to 18 months backwards in time as to just what was going on. What were they researching? We're seeing this enough as a pattern. I wouldn't say that it's it's written in fact yet, but it's a working hypothesis we're testing. But there are typically at least two, usually three distinct 
research phases happening inside of, of most businesses where, hey, they're doing the early research. And what they're researching then is very different than what they're doing in the middle when they're identifying vendors and when they're identifying vendor selection. And the problem is, right, it, when they're doing vendor selection, you're typically towards the very end of the funnel. You're actually, you're not going to have enough time to build those relationships to get multi-threaded if you're getting in at that state in time. And so when you start to overlay the research behaviors with the personas, now I'm able to start putting in place the right kinds of campaigns. Hey, we see they're showing research on these early activities. We know the people in our deals who are typically doing this are product managers. And then, oh, great, we're kind of getting to the middle of the identifying vendor stage. I'm going to start targeting right the second group of people and start warming them up. A good example, when I did this myself, was in the BPO space, cybersecurity would always come in and they were often right either they would just start to slow everything down mid-funnel. Mid and so what we determined was, well, they come in at kind of that middle funnel stage. So the stage before it, we would actually start targeting the cyber team and enabling our internal champion with, hey, here's all of our security compliance information. We'd actually start targeting them with, we won, you know, CISO of the year, or, you know, here's our different qualifications, because what we were trying to do was warm them up prior to getting in the deal. And so you can build your marketing campaigns and your sales campaigns to overlay these two points of information together. Do I have the right people? Are we hitting them with the right message based on where they are in that purchasing journey? And you can actually know what they care about. What are they reading about? So as you start to overlay these, the magic starts to come to life there. No, I think it's huge, Jeff. I think the, the idea that marketing starts and stops, you know, at the top of the funnel is the old world. And I think what you're highlighting here is once the company has the data to understand which personas they should be engaging with, marketing has a huge role to play in, in warming up the right stakeholders for the next stage of that sales cycle, especially the more complicated and longer sales paths. I think marketing is a, a key role and it, it just shows that really the commercial side of the business is really just one unit. We categorize it in different ways from our perspective, but the customer doesn't care which department they're engaging with. They're engaging with your brand. Exactly. Exactly. And knowing what they're researching, right, is really key, right? That timing as we were hitting on there. So digging in and being able to say, okay, hey, actually they're they're doing research on business process automation or these three things together is actually when we're seeing this right automation testing with DevOps and digital transformation combined, our win rates even higher. And so you're actually able to start to dig in and, and understand these insights and also kind of look at, at a forecast of how long does this take? Are the deals bigger? Are they smaller? And now, even on the marketing side, we can make business decisions and say, you know what, although the deal cycles take longer, the deal sizes are much, much higher, right? And the velocity per day is that much greater when we focus on this cluster of, of things that we're working on versus a single topic versus no intent. And the other part that we start to do with our customers on those no intent, they're researching something. So now we want to go figure out what that something is, right? It's a, it's a blind spot we have. And so we can start to look at, hey, what are our blind spots? And then where do we start to place our bets? And now you start to, again, overlay all these different components. I know when these signals are true, right? They're showing intent on these things. I know these are the people I need to get involved in the deal. And then I can start to really build out those different campaigns, all from the perspective of a data-driven analysis, not just opinions, which I think is really key. It's fascinating because intent was new to me six months ago, and, and I've obviously gone on a journey with you guys on, on the impact. But it's amazing to think that what insights you're able to glean and, and the impact knowing this information is it can have on, on a company's business. Well, if you click forward one more, what's also really interesting here, right, especially in the current climate, I think I haven't been to a keynote yet that hasn't mentioned, you know what, it's time for you to go revisit your target account list. It's time for you to get more focused. And so actually, if you go back one real quick there, right? 
there's a lot showing intent on one topic, but around where I'm seeing in my best win rates, my highest velocity, right? Dollars per day, it's only 320 accounts. So number one, it's not a big ecosystem for me to target. So I can do a nice high ABM motion on that. That also gives me the ability to do that reverse funnel and say, is this enough to hit our sales goal? Or do I need to go downstream into that next bucket, right into the next bucket as you're going through those different components? And so again, you're actually able to start to size and scope your markets based on what you really think is attainable. And then the next piece on this, and we can go ahead and I think it's one click for building this one out. It's what's interesting on, on this is now what campaigns do I flight? Right. I've got three different campaigns here. I can look at, hey, what's the volume of impressions that we're reaching? Right. How long does it take from when they're put into the campaign to when we get that first meeting? How many of those meetings actually convert into opportunities? How long does that take? And then write that average deal value. So I can start to look through all these different pieces and really start to analyze my campaigns. And so this is one I always love to talk with, with CMOs on is you should have evergreen campaigns that you're running against your core products, and then you need to optimize them. And this is the kind of data you need to optimize those. And so I'm able to turn around and say, okay, hey, well, when now I can look at the content we're using, et cetera, we can, we can tinker, right? I can say, great, hey, when we involved this case study, our pipeline and velocity improved by this. Or when they went and looked at this page, we saw an opportunity conversion do this. And so right now I'm starting to also understand the campaign journey that I need to bring these people on and which campaigns are gonna yield the best for what we're trying to do and to, to build that relationship, right? So that's, again, you start to overlay these, these layers of depth. Like one layer is amazing and you start to get going on it. And then you add in a little bit more complexity over time and you can really turn this into, into a predictable, efficient engine. The fascinating insights here. And it shows that it's not just one signal that you're looking at because while the time to opportunity on that last campaign is obviously a little bit longer, the average deal values are just so much larger. So yeah, really, really understanding those metrics is, is everything. So one of the other stats and data points we looked at was at companies that were using some sort of sales methodology or, or qualification metric. We use MedPick internally, but uh, Medic's good and Band's good. They're, what was really interesting, one of the interesting takeaways is that it didn't really matter which metric or which qualification methodology you used. What mattered was whether you were using one and whether you were documenting it. And when we started to look at the data, we could see that the top performers were able to work four times more likely to complete that qualification process inside the CRM. And, and so we, we've actually built a little widget that sits in the opportunity record. It just automatically captures, and makes it easy to kind of drop down menu, select how your, your med pick as you go. But we also saw that the, that the impact of, instead of doing it in your head, but actually writing it down, having it in the system, mm -hmm. uh, the win rate went up over three times. So I very much encourage the, uh, people, if, if you're not already doing that, it's one of the quickest ways of having a positive influence on win rates. <laughs> oh, quick anecdote on that one. We we stood up what we call pipeline council internal at Bombora for that for this very reason was when people have to write it down and report out on it. A, our Salesforce data has never been cleaner, and right, you're actually you have a lot more confidence in it because you know the health of the deal. One of the things I love about it is you start to go down this road and the documentation of it. It also enables the business to offer more help. Sales, like sales leadership, finance, legal, can get involved earlier in deals to help the seller be successful. But if they don't know any of the details, they're flying blind. And that's how like everything comes in last minute. It's chaotic and nobody wants that. Everybody wants to win more. And so that's, I love it, right? As you start to dig into that, uh, no. simply documenting. 
No, absolutely. And and so we first thing we do with a customer is we'll go back over the last four quarters and, and try and, and effectively track it like all of the individual contributors, all of the individual reps to try and understand you know, the, the green, ambers and reds. And there's all sorts of data points on here. I'll, I'll let you talk to it, Jeff. But uh, fascinating insights once you understand how they pace it. Part of it, right, is we know where you get new reps, they need to ramp, et cetera. Sure, that's all fine. But how do you start to understand who's actually moving the needle? Why, why are your best reps the best reps? Is always that question. How do I clone my top two reps? Well, data helps us, right? The delivery of, of how they do their pitch and things like that. Sure, there's, there's the human nuance to it all. But the data also helps answer a lot of those questions, right? Like, how are are they using our qualification criteria? Where do their leads come from? Who, what level are they engaging, right? Do they have enough people involved? Is it going through that? Are their deal sizes, maybe they're pitching too small, right? Et cetera, as you start to go through those different things. Now, what's also interesting too, from a marketing perspective is over time, I may not want to actually round robin my leads out to all of these different reps. I'm going to want to send, you know, we're investing these dollars into acquiring these opportunities for our sales team. And over time, frankly, you might want to look at that and think, I think if if we click on more is a good kind of example. It's like, I might choose to say, you know what, I'm actually going to give these to my top sellers because that's how we're going to get the best efficiency. That's how we're going to get the best sales as we go through these and not really give them to the other people there as, as you go, uh, you know, your bottom performers. Now, it's a little controversial as you go through that, but hey, if I can spend, you know, for every $10,000 I spend to drive, you know, X number of opportunities, if I know that I've got a 50% better chance of close, like winning that business because it's assigned to one of my top sellers than my lower sellers, that's just a business decision as you go through that. Now, another thing that I've done before is having like a three strike rule too, because very often marketing leads get you know left behind they're not followed up with and so another thing you can do is say hey if you actually don't follow up with these things right if, if you're not doing the actions that we're asking you to we'll give you three chances but then you're not going to get any more leads from marketing because we're going to give them to people who want to follow up with them now bleeds bad give us that feedback so we can do better next time right and having the analytics to have that feedback loop is critical but inaction is not an option and so you start to kind of look at this and say yeah i want to route my leads to my best sellers we've got the best chance of closing but also as marketing, we can't always you know, ignore the, the bottom reps, but you can put rules in place that then kind of limit that as, as you go through there. I agree. I think the, the challenge most businesses have is they just don't have this level of visibility. They exactly. just don't understand which reps are performing, where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses, are they pacing quarter on quarter in the right direction? Do they, do they need more or less coverage to hit quota? And these are this should be table stakes in 2023. You should have access to these in real time, and it shouldn't take months to get this up and running. This this should be right. in place within weeks of making a decision to move this way. Exactly. We hit on this a little bit earlier. It's just the, how do you identify where the friction is in your funnel, right? And so how do I see when we lost things, right? By stage, when do we lose the most? Okay, great. We lose the most in solution, and we seem to spend the most time in that stage. And so what this enables you to do is actually dig in. And I usually use my product marketing team to do, do this kind of work of what's a sales need? What kind of collateral? Is this a legal hangup? Like what's going on here that's making this last longer or that we're getting to, to a no as you go through there and, and marketing and the business can then surround the seller and say, we've identified a friction point. This is where our funnel's leaking the most. What do we need to do to plug that? And then you work to the next one. And then to the next one, because as you're able to start digging into that, you can really start to impact 
what you're putting in at the top of the funnel. Like one of the analyses that I did one time in, in a business, what we found there were three key things. There was number one, this lack of account follow-up, which surprising enough is pretty common uh, across a lot of businesses, just sellers not necessarily following up or, or having the thing to follow up with, right? Another engaging reason to engage as you go through that. Second was they didn't put the product on. They didn't have enough detail in their discovery call to know what they were actually selling, right? The solution side of that. And then the third was time and stage. And a saying that uh, I've used a lot is, you know, stale is not a status in Salesforce. Like the, why is a deal going stale? Why is it sitting here so long? Because right, time is that enemy as you go through that. It gives your competition more time to get in and win. And it also gives them more time to disengage. And so you want to kind of think through those different things, but having the ability to see it gives you an idea where to start looking. Yeah, look, ideally, you're going to lose the majority of your opportunities in the earlier stages. Um, right. The problem is that people are incentivized to create opportunities. And so they look at opportunity uh, discussions and discovery you know, almost through rose-tinted glasses. And they create that opportunity perhaps, and they haven't really qualified it properly. We talked about the qualification metrics like MedPick earlier. So really, in an ideal scenario, you're losing the majority of your conversions are at the very early stage. And ideally, you want the time in stage to get quicker as you right. go through. Now, that's not always possible, but ideally you want them you know, invest the time early on to really understand that there really is an opportunity here. And then the rest of the process should be relatively streamlined. But what we're seeing here is a real problem here because they're probably investing lots of time and energy in these deals at solution stage, but they're taking far too long and they're losing half the deals at that stage. It's very late stage to do that. So all the energy that went in up to that stage, it's all wasted. Exactly. This is just an illustrative example of kind of what we we're just showing there, right? Of, hey, when we when we add these kinds of, right, when we add these personas, when we've got their engagements at this level, et cetera, we can actually see the things that move the needle to make it shorter and increase that conversion. And so we're able to start to look at that and be like, great, we need relationships. The VP of product has got to be in there, right? We completed MedPick. You actually know the tactical items to now advise your sales team on or how marketing can support that. And just say, hey, check these boxes and you're going to close more deals faster, which is the goal of every company and every sales team, right? And so we know the levers to pull. And now sales managers and, and go-to-market leaders can advise everyone on how, what we need to do to really move that needle. Just look at the difference in those time to move loss and time to move to proposal. It's just, it's just so much more time is going into these and energy into these opportunities that just aren't real. Exactly. So bringing all of that together, what I wanted to kind of, one of my final slides today was really just to look at how you can bring together the uh, propensity or intent data that you get from, from people like Bombora and the relationship engagement scoring that we've gone through this exercise of really trying to understand and codify what a good relationship looks like. We can see here on the graphic on the right, the deals where, that are in green, we've got a high propensity score. They're, they're in market, they're ready to buy, they've got budget and so on. And we've got really high levels of engagement with the relevant relationships. And, and so these deals are much more likely to close and close in a much shorter amount of time than let's say the orange deals on here where really they're not in market anyway and our relationship score is relatively low. Now, those two are pretty obvious, but if you look at the two yellow spots, what we can see here is, especially the one top left, we're investing a huge amount of energy in this from a sales perspective. The individuals on the sales team are engaging with these, this customer. The prospect is taking up a lot of our sales time, but it doesn't look like they're in market. There's nothing that gives us any indications that, and evidence to suggest that they're actually in market right now. So that's a real scary point where, again, the CMO is well-placed to explain to the sales leaders, look, I think you're investing too much time in these deals. And then vice versa, the deal, the, the bottom right-hand side, we can see a, a yellow signal where 
that tells us that, look, marketing's done its job here. We found a really good customer that's got all the signals are telling us this customer is in markets, but the sales team have let that one fall through the cracks. They're not engaging. They're not building the right relationships with their stakeholders. So simple, easy graphics to understand which deals are in play and where they are is, is really everything needed to be able to have that conversation but, and be a lot more collaborative with the other members of the team. Yeah, I mean, understanding, right, this is just simply what is the place to invest our dollars and invest our time. And just having a simple way to look at that can have, you know, again, massive impact in organizations. So that's why I love these kind of charts to come through. So as we step back and, and we kind of think about a couple just key takeaways from, from today here, the big things for moving that needle for efficiency, right, and that predictable growth, it's making sure you just have that foundation of relevant data and that it's at your fingertips, right? A lot of us have this buried in systems and we can't always extract it and get it out. Another one is is really kind of looking at, at how do you measure, right, just that velocity and that pipeline. So I know where to place my bets and I can look at that and say, hey, if we do these critical functions, we're, we're going to see higher conversion rates. We're going to see more dollars per day coming in. And as a marketer, I can also say, these are the campaigns. These are the accounts we should really spend our time and efforts on. Additionally, right, we hit on, on the factors of things like relationship intent. Right? What are the things that actually move that needle for us? And, and being able to, number one, identify them. Number two, begin to put our action plans against them to start to drive that into just our ways of working and our ways of engaging right marketing and sales together as we go through that. Yeah. I mean, look, when we started on this journey, trying to build predictable revenue engines for our customers and, and focusing on forecasting, we realized very quickly that it's almost impossible to do on the raw data that's in Salesforce on its own, because all of that data has just been manually inputted and therefore it's inconsistent and it's out of date more <laughs> than not. So we had to go back to the drawing board. And, and for us, we had to really focus in on fixing the data first. And, and it's not a particularly sexy part of the process, but we've now built a phenomenal engine that can that's plug and play. And we can go back a year or two and make sure that 100% of the activity and the relationships are in CRM. And we've got this engagement score thing, which we've seen has been a huge impact on understanding the likelihood of a deal winning. And then combining that with this intense score uh, gives us a, a superpower. Now we know who's in market and we know whether the sales team are building the right relationships with the right stakeholders at the right time. So drive your business by the data is probably my takeaway for today. Um, try and understand the signals that are driving revenue. Don't live in a world, you know, we've all got too much tech in our world already. And the chances are, uh, that tech is driving up. It is it, We're working for the tech rather than the tech working for us. And what we need to do is help the sales team with the data and the insights, because actually that, that's what really matters now, not what front end they happen to want to use today. So I would encourage everybody, try and understand the data behind your business. Look at companies uh, like the two of us, I suppose, that can give you those insights and do that analysis on the past, because the past is where the, the benchmarking sits. And we can use that to understand the DNA of good deals. And that can then help us understand the risk in life pipe. All right. Thanks, everybody. I think we are right at time here. So we'll take a couple questions. We won't have time to get through all of them going through that. But for those who can stick around, otherwise, they'll be in the recording at the end there. But let's start with, I know we answered a couple typing in there, but the biggest issue for medium-sized companies is the access to data that, that makes sense. Clean data is rare. People who can put it together in a meaningful way is rare. That's why driving insights from data is challenging. Thoughts on how to address this? I'll chat first on my thoughts on this. So number one, you're right. Uh, one of my favorite questions to ask is, is there anybody in this room who feels like their, their Salesforce or their CRM data is clean? And you'll never get a hand. So 
you have to start at the points of where the data is good. And what I've found in my, my history is the data is good when people get paid. So it's good at the SDR handoff to sales because SDRs want to get paid. And it's good at closed one because sellers want to get paid. Everything in between I, is highly suspect. So always start with where you know the data is going to be good. From there, over time, you can start to chip away and look at the stages, right? all those different elements of the funnel and velocity. But you can make a lot of great initial inferences from those two clean points as you go through that. That's at least where, where I start. Guy, I would love your thoughts on that one. Yeah, well, once we realized, I mean, bear in mind, we've got nearly 500 customers now on our platform. And once it became apparent how important the relationships were on the likelihood of, of deals winning, we went back to the drawing board, as I mentioned earlier, and, and built an engine that's able to trawl through the email traffic and the calendar events within the business, not just people that have a Salesforce license, but actually everyone who's customer facing, really to draw out of the mailboxes all of the different contacts we've been engaging with. And we give each one of those relationships a score out of 100. And that's an engagement score that shows you how much momentum you've had. So when we're analyzing deals that have closed in the past, so when we onboard a customer, the first thing we do is we go back four quarters and try and give you a, a breakdown of how much momentum you've needed with different stakeholders at each stage of the sales process. Once we do that, we're able to show the customer what the DNA of a good deal looks like. And so the answer is that you actually do have the data. It's just in the wrong place. And so if you can take the intent data from vendors like Bombora, if you can look at the relationships that you've been engaging with in the, in the deals that you've done over the last year or two and understand how much momentum you need with different stakeholders at different stages of the sales process, you're able to really do the analysis that we talked about. And I think I agree with you, Jeff. When we go into a customer before we've done this analysis, usually you've got the opportunity progression stages might be okay. And, and the win rate, the day the deal closed is good as well. It's even, it's not, you can't even rely on the date that you opened opportunities. But the good right. news is that we can see in the mailboxes and the calendars, the date you started momentum when the engagement started tracking with, this, with the individual stakeholders involved in the sales process. So we can get a true feel for how long the sales process actually took to run and then the progression through the different stages. So the data exists. There are ways of clawing it out. For goodness sake, don't rely on the humans to do it themselves. Yeah, that's, I think I think that's definitely good. And that's why systems like like Epstar are are great, right? They give you that that level of insight that would take a long time for an analyst or somebody with spreadsheets to crunch. A fun one here on on VCs and private equity firms. We'll hit on there. Uh, they use leads as their own metric, specifically to hire SDR sales and marketing. While we're within marketing, have the data to show fewer leads are better. Are you hearing or seeing the VCs and private equity are doing less hiring because of questionable lead model or hearing that they're weaning off leads? So it depends. Number one, I'll say if this is your VC or private equity firm, you need to build to their model, right? Like that's their way of assessing businesses and things like that. You should then though start to come in with that. So I always love to build a reverse funnel that shows right here's the job to be done and what it's going to take from sales and marketing to accomplish these, these metrics that we're looking at. It's where I got, I've used Bumboard previously to say, here's the total addressable in market right now and what that has averaged over time. And then if you can start to bring in all these efficiency metrics as well, it shows you're actually caring about the pipeline states to states. One of the reasons that they lean that way is it's a consistent way in which they're able to measure a business because most businesses don't have these kinds of models, these kinds of metrics that they can be optimizing around. And so for them, it's at least a steady baseline that they can measure all of their portfolio against. So you need to build for what they 
what they want. But then over time, I would focus on educating them, right? Bringing them kind of to that next level as you're taking your business that way, because driving revenue efficiently, right? This getting away from this grow at all cost is where they're all looking now, right? They're looking at profitability and recurring revenue as keys to multiples there. So they are going to start to see it differently, but they're still in that initial kind of, hey, we should we should align to what they're asking for right now. Got any thoughts on that? I agree with you. You know, ultimately you have to deliver them those the numbers that they're looking for. But but ultimately everyone just wants outcomes. They want results. Everyone's got access to all the different tech in the world at the moment. But the key question is, is it effective? Because actually what really matters is are we working for the tools or are the tools working for us? When we dive into it, we find that actually what really matters is the intelligence and not the brand of the tool that you happen to be using. So I'd encourage you to have a real think internally. Everybody on the webinar really start to work out, are the tools you've got, are they effective? Are they having material impact on your ability to win and win faster? Or are they just another another set of tools? And that's what we're finding in the market. And, and ultimately, the outcomes, that the evidence will help them to, to your VCs or PE houses to evolve their models. Right. Um, so, you know, help these people and, and ultimately... You know, the CMO community have got a phenomenal opportunity to to lean in and, and become that ultimately the future CRO and actually help the leadership and the board understand the signals that actually drive revenue. Perfect. I got have you also analyzed data with your customers' partners to understand partner pipelines? So this is a really interesting lens. We have a customer who's doing this. I can't say who right now on, on it, but a very large data and a software analytics company. What's interesting on this is they're actually now starting to look at this data in context of partners aligned to deals and the propensity model of winning and lifetime value with partners aligned to them. It's a different dimension as as you start to dig into that. So what they're finding on that structure is that similar to sales reps, there are certain partners that you win more with. They're more efficient, right, for all kinds of different reasons. And so this is a big deal for major companies with channel programs or ecosystem programs, Amazon, Microsoft, et cetera, and and all the way downstream of, hey, if I'm going to connect you with a partner, do I win more? Do I win faster? And with certain partners, the answer is yes. And other ones, the answer is no, obviously on that. So it's a different dimension, but it's kind of viewed as the same almost as sellers there. Yeah, again, it all comes back down to that relationship, doesn't it? If the partner has a close working relationship with the customer, then simply a a nod in your direction will give them a lot of comfort and a lot of confidence to work with you. If the partner really doesn't have that relationship, it's like LinkedIn, right? If you're looking for an introduction to someone, it's, it's always difficult to know, did they meet them at a conference five years ago or actually are they working with them every day at the moment? So I think partners, uh, I mean, from our business perspective, for example, we expect 30% of our new business revenue now to come through partners, and our conversion rates are three times higher than when they're coming through a partner channel. Whether that information is recorded in system is key. So again, start gathering the information on it first, and then we can start to prove out the value of partnership models. But I know it took us about 18 months to activate our partnership community. And so if you're halfway through that, and you know, darkest hours before the dawn, I, I encourage you actively to to keep going, partnerships really does work. You've got to get the right partners and, and uh, you know, connect with me offline and I'll tell you all the war stories of all the things we did that didn't quite work out. I think we got time for one more here. Relationships as, as marketing interactions, SDR, sales engagement touches with accounts or all of it, any single touch point, no matter what the area is. So a couple different views and Guy, you probably have a unique perspective on this given the analysis you all did, but So Forrester did a study not that long ago that showed that for the winning account, 
you typically in a deal, they are having 27 touches per contact on that deal. Now those touches, right? You do that math really quick, looking at the numbers that we had here of like, you know, 10 contacts plus, you know, 10 going over that, you're having hundreds of interactions with these companies. But then if you also look at the buying journey now, a lot of that's happening without the vendor. I think the latest that I saw 17% of a buying cycle is actually spent with vendors, not a singular vendor, all the vendors are looking at. And so multiple touches matter. It is the combination of marketing, SDR, and sales. And that can be right. That can be everything from content to ads, right, to calls, to event touches, et cetera. But there's also the the human nature of actually feeling connected to someone, which is a little harder to measure. But I, right, that's some of, of what Epson Guy was talking about there of being able to do that. Of what is that relationship score as as you go go through this, Guy? Maybe you can touch on that real quick. Yeah, I agree with the point you made. I, look, Jeff, you and I have debated a, a number of times. Uh, marketing has a role to play, not just at the top of the funnel. It has a, a role to play all the way through the cycle. And once you've done the analysis and understand which stakeholders we're going to be engaging at the next stage of that sales process, marketing can do a job there. They can start warming up the, the guys, the, the CISO that's responsible for the security review or the finance director that's going to be doing the legal review. They, there's a, a huge opportunity to shorten the sales cycle and improve your win rates just by com- blending the sales and marketing function together. And so Ebster's superpower is all about measuring relationships from a one human-to-human relationship. And what Jeff does with the Bombora propensity and the, the scores they have around uh, the likelihood of willing to buy means that you can start blending those two together and you, and you end up with a superpower. And we talked about that earlier in the presentation. So yeah, lean into all the data points you have. The marketing and intent is hugely valuable. Relationships and engagement score is also hugely valuable. And when you get those two on a graph, you get a whole nother dimension of what you're actually looking at. All right. Well, I think that does it for time. We're going over there a little bit, but some good questions coming in there. Feel free. Our contact info is on the screen there. I'm sure neither of us uh, can really speak for guys. We wouldn't mind a ping or anything. If you've got follow-up questions there, this will be shared out as a recording afterwards. And thank you everyone for coming today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Guy, for sharing these ideas with us. Thanks for hosting, Jeff. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.